Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Well, it's great seeing you today. And as we begin a new series in the book of Acts, it's going to be our summer series. And I hope you'll just take the time to read through the whole book. And then each week as we come together, we will begin to work through this book. I had the joy of being with my grandkids recently. Uh, Harvey, who is nine years old, came up to me and he said, hey, Pop, look at what I can do. And uh, he pulled out a Rubik's Cube and he completely did it. And and he can do it in 45 seconds. And I said, man, I had one of those in college and I never ever did it except when I peeled the thing off and then I would stick them on right. He said, oh, Pop, it's easy. All you gotta do is learn the algorithm of it. <laughs> Who talks like that at nine years old? <laughs> I said, you, do you even know what an algorithm is? He said, sure, and then he went on to explain it. And I said, okay. Uh, and it just, you know, it, I felt dumb. I'm sorry. I just felt really dumb by my nine, nine year old grandson. Well, now you talk about dumb this past week in Italy, somebody paid $18,300 for a sculpture. Now they showed a picture of the sculpture and all it was was a, there was a podium there with nothing on it. That's right, there was, no, there was nothing. It was in the artist's mind. He said, now just because it's, you don't see it and it doesn't mean it's not real. And so there was literally nothing. He, he, he says, I see it as a vacuum. And I'm sitting there going, I, I see it as a vacuum of somebody's brain that wrote you a check for $18,300 for that. I mean, literally somebody gave him that much money for nothing, absolutely nothing. And, and when I see that, I'll say, wow, people will fall for anything and believe anything. So I, I've got a whole bunch of artwork I'm getting ready to sell. <laughs> but when it comes to scripture, there is so much, so much evidence, so much stuff that's there that gives us an understanding and, and truth that we can grab hold of. And so as we talk about Acts, now Acts has a lot of titles. You can call it Acts, you can call it the Acts of the Apostle. I prefer to call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. And uh, there, there are basically two questions that you need to ask yourself. One is, do you absolutely believe that Jesus has done everything necessary to save you and are you trusting him for your salvation? It's very important how I worded that. Have you, do you believe Jesus has done everything necessary to save you? Because if, if you don't fully believe that, I mean, you can believe that Jesus did die on a cross, rose from the dead, and, but if you don't believe that what he did was a, enough to save you, then you wind up as a believer spending the rest of your life trying to save yourself, trying to earn your salvation. 
The second question is, and this is what really gets in the heartbeat of Acts, if indeed you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and believe that what he did was enough to save you, have you surrendered to him as your Lord? I mean, are you willing to do whatever he tells you to do, wherever he tells you to do it, whenever he tells you to do it? You see, I'm afraid many of us, we don't struggle with accepting Jesus as our savior, but we kind of struggle with that lordship part. To literally get up first thing in the morning and say, Holy Spirit, what, what do you want me to do today? What's your agenda for me today? As a Christian, as a follower of Christ, I decided once to become a believer, so that's a done deal, but I have to decide every day and sometimes every moment that Jesus is actually my Lord. At the end of the last service, I had a family to come forward. They, they have three young kids and within the month, they're leaving with the International Mission Board to go live in a country that I cannot tell you what country it is because it's a closed country and would put them in danger if it got out there that they were there um, because the Holy Spirit told them to do that. And they're going there to make a difference in a country that's closed to Christianity. And it's dangerous. But they know that the Holy Spirit told them to do that. And what a privilege it was that we gathered around them uh, at the end of the service to pray for them and to send them off for what God is, has for them. So this confession of faith that Jesus is my Savior, but Jesus is also my Lord, do you apply that day by day? Now, the way they applied it in the book of Acts is that they became, the Bible says, devoted to the apostles' teaching. And the apostles' teaching, that's the Bible. And it was actually the Holy Spirit's teaching through the apostles. So I, I want to deal, I want us to deal with some really basic questions like why, why and how can I truly believe the Bible? Can, can I really believe it? Can I truly accept the scripture? And, and um, can I defend the authority of scripture? Sometimes I hear Christians try to defend the Bible and they, re they really don't know how. They, they just say, well, it's the word of God. Well, how do you know that? Well, it just is. And I just, you know, and, the, and, and it says so, so that's enough for me. Well, it may be, but that's not enough for some people. Now, I want us to give us some um, foundational tools that uh, you can use that will help you to know why you believe what you believe, but also how to communicate that to others. So let's just read beginning in Acts chapter one, we're gonna start at verse 12. So let's just, let's just read through it and see what it says. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of half a mile. I've walked it many times. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. 
And here are the names of those who were present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of uh, Elpheus, and, um, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James, not Judas, the betrayer. There were actually, you know, two Judases. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer. That's a cool statement. It, it's amazing. And, and listen, married couples, if you really want to be united as a couple, just learn to start praying together. Well, you know, every time Mary and I pray together, <laughs> the arguments go away. The disagreements go away. There's something united, uniting about just praying together. And so they all met together and were constantly united in prayer. So that will work for your marriage. Along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. During this time when about 120 believers were together in one place, Peter stood up and here's what he said. Brothers, he said, the scripture <clears throat> had to be fulfilled concerning Judas that guided those who arrested Jesus. So he was acknowledging that that was a prophecy and Judas was fulfilling prophecy. This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit. So it's in scripture, but it's really from the Holy Spirit. So it kind of begins to give this idea of who really writes the Bible? You know, human hands write it, but the Holy Spirit gives it. This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit speaking through King David. So King David wrote it, but it was the Holy Spirit speaking it. Judas was one of us and shared in the ministry with us. Judas had bought a field with the money he received for his treachery. Falling head first there, his body split open, spilling out his intestines. The news of his death spread all over the people, uh, to all the people of Jerusalem, and they gave the place an uh, Aramaic name, Akeladama, which means field of blood. Peter continued, this was written in the book of Psalms where it says, let his home become desolate with no one living in it. It also says, let someone else take his position. Now that's a key phrase here because what they're about to do is to replace Judas. And why are they doing it? it was because the Bible said so. So Peter was saying, the Bible says to replace Judas. And that's what we're doing. <clears throat> let someone else take his position. So now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who were with us the entire time and were traveling with the Lord Jesus. So it wasn't just the 12 traveling with Jesus. There was really a pretty sizable group. From the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken from us, talking about the ascension. Whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus's resurrection. This is what it's all about is the resurrection. You take away the resurrection, Paul says it, we're a group of people to be pitied. The resurrection is everything. If you don't have the resurrection, you've got nothing. I mean, the resurrection, that was the deal breaker. 
So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, just choose the name, um, <laughs> and Matthias. When they all prayed, uh, then they all prayed. Now listen to this. Oh Lord, you know every heart. Show us which of these men you have chosen, or past tense, you've already chosen the guy, as an apostle to replace Judas in this ministry. For he has deserted us and has gone where he belongs, which is pretty clear he didn't go to heaven. Then they cast lots, and Matthias was selected to become an apostle with the other 11. The Holy Spirit chose him, had already chosen him, and he was just revealed to the disciples. So why is this story here? Is it to teach us how to, to select a successor? I, I don't think so. I, I wouldn't suggest that. You know, when the day comes that I retire and somebody else becomes a pastor, I don't think you all bring your dice from home and to figure out who the next pastor should be. So a lot of things in Acts are descriptive, not prescriptive. They're, they're things that tell you what they did, but not how you are to do it. We're never told to do that in picking our leaders or our girlfriends. <laughs> well, it's mainly, it's in there because it happened. This is the way it happened. In fact, this little side note this is how a lot of decisions were made was the casting of lots. Uh, like in the Old Testament, when somebody had sinned and Achan had sinned and, and uh, when God allowed the Israelites to be defeated at Ai and, and God told Joshua, somebody has sinned in your camp and they cast lots to bring it on down to one family and it was Achan and, and then he suffered the consequences. After the Holy Spirit comes when he hadn't come yet in this verse, but soon he comes. After he comes, you never see again in scripture where they cast lots for anything. Well, that says something. It wasn't necessary any longer because the Holy Spirit now could tell them directly. So the Holy Spirit and through the Old Testament and part of the New Testament would use the casting of lots to tell somebody what to do, but that's not for today because now the Holy Spirit lives in us. So this is mainly here because it's, this is what happened. And it showed us how the apostles viewed themselves and the scriptures and the Old Testament and, uh, and eventually the New Testament that they would write. It shows us why the Bible became the authority, the divine guide for Christians. So here's a couple of things just for you to think about. And these are the reasons why you believe the Bible is true. There's authenticated prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus. In Acts chapter 1, verse 16, Peter said, Brothers, the scriptures 
had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. So the apostles saw the Old Testament as a book written by the Holy Spirit, especially in predicting of the coming of Jesus. In fact, scholars tell us that there are 322 direct prophecies about the character, the nature, the coming of, the specific details about his birth, his, his death, and his life about Jesus. 322. Think about that. And every single one of them literally became true, fulfilled. Uh, a friend, a, a fellow pastor uh, shared this story. Uh, he read in a CIA report. And... Uh, and in this report, it talked about whenever there was a double agent that wanted to reveal information to the CIA, <clears throat> they usually had several layers of identity to make sure that there was no chance that they were hearing it from the wrong person. And they gave this one example of a particular Soviet double agent. And he was given six prearranged signs to accomplish. And here, here's what they were. He had to go to Mexico City, number one. He had to contact a certain guy in the city to tell him that he was there and identify himself by the name of uh, I. Jackson. <clears throat> um, number three, three days, then after three days, he would go to a specific place in the city. And number four, he would stand in front of the statue of Columbus in that city. And number five, with his middle finger placed in a guidebook, he would be approached by someone asking for direction. And then number six, he was to say that the statue of Columbus was a magnificent statue and that he was from Oklahoma. And when all six of those things happened, they knew they had the right guy. Six things. Jesus had 322. And they all literally became true, literally fulfilled, without a variance, without exception. I mean, Micah 5.2 said he'd be born in Bethlehem. How can you guarantee that? Second Samuel 7 said that he would be a descendant of the tribe of Judah and from the family of David. Malachi 3.1 said he would immediately be preceded by John the Baptist. Zechariah says he would be betrayed by 30 pieces of silver. And then that that 30 pieces of silver would purchase a field. Isaiah 53 said that he would die hung on a tree and that he would raise from the dead. Psalm 1610. Wow. Wow. And as from the words from the Holy Spirit, Acts 1.16 again, brothers, the scripture had to be filled which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. So which was it? Was it David or the Holy Spirit? The answer is yeah. It was both. Well, Humans are infallible, that's right. We don't need much evidence to prove that. 
but God is infallible. How, how do you do that? How do you reconcile that? Let, well, let me, let me give you an example that might help because the Holy Spirit, well, it's kind of like when our kids were born and, you know, the first time they pulled themselves up in their crib, that was a big day, you remember? And, and then when they would kind of stumble around, well, when they started crawling, that was a big day. Uh, but then you wanted to help them to learn to walk. And how did you do that? You would grab their hands and hold their hands up and you would stand above them and just kind of walk them along. You know, you'd hold them up enough that their feet were just, you know, barely touching the floor and they would learn to start working their legs. You know, you know, at first when you'd pull them, their feet would lag behind, but then they would start to learn to move their feet in front of them. And you would say there, oh, look, he's walking. Well, that's kind of how it was with scripture. The Holy Spirit was holding the writers. The writers were writing, but the Holy Spirit holding, was holding them. And so it was the Holy Spirit speaking through them. So yeah, it was David that wrote. It was the Holy Spirit that spoke. God's word is infallible because the Holy Spirit is infallible. And that's why I can trust the scripture. In 2 Peter chapter 1, it says, Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No prophecy. No, these, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. The Holy Spirit was guiding them along as they were taking steps, but they weren't really walking. Their feet were moving, their legs were moving, but it was the Holy Spirit that was doing everything else. I mean, that's what that scripture is saying. You must realize that no prophecy in scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke not for God, but from God. There's a Greek word in here called phero, carried along. It's the word that is used to describe how a ship sails, move a ship. And so the sailors, they would have to put the sails up but the wind is what would fill the sails and move the ship. You see, your job as a Christian is to always keep your sails up and let the Holy Spirit move you in the direction he wants you to go. If you stay anchored, tied to the dock, where it's safe, you're not going anywhere. But you got to untie from the dock and you got to allow yourself to get out there and you got to put your sails up and you got to let the Holy Spirit not only fill your sails but steer the rudder. Let him take you where he wants to take you. And it'll be an adventure like you would never imagine 
Just like when I was praying for this couple this morning and, you know, dozens of people had gathered around to pray for them. And I was just thinking about how they hoisted the sails and they gave God control of the rudder and look at where the winds are taking him. You know, the second thing I want you to see is the authority the apostles assumed for writing this scripture. Peter felt like they needed to replace Judas because Jesus had declared that 12 apostles would be his authoritative representatives. And now that Judas was gone, they needed a 12th man, plus scripture said to replace him. Now, why 12? Well, it was important. It wasn't by accident. And the reason there are 12 apostles is because it represents the 12 tribes of Israel. God always has order. And these guys are supposed to be the official authoritative representatives of Jesus. And the requirement was that they had, would have been with Jesus from the beginning. So where does it say that these apostles are the official authoritative representatives? Well, in several places. Let me just give you two. John chapter 14. When the Father sends the advocate, that's the Holy Spirit. When the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything. He's talking to the disciples now. And will remind you of everything I have told you. Ah, that's how they were able to write about it. The Holy Spirit gave them the memory. The Holy Spirit reminded them, hey, you remember when Jesus said this? You remember when Jesus did that? And that's how they were able to write about it after the fact. The Holy Spirit told them. And then in Matthew 16, 19, this is huge. If you, if, you, if you want to know about the authority of the apostles, this really says it. Here's what Jesus said. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Wow. And then he takes it a step further. And whatever you forbid on earth, this was not given to you. This was given to the Holy, to, by the Holy Spirit to, through Jesus to the apostles. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. So these apostles had Jesus's authority to, de to declare Jesus's judgment and record them. And see, all of all the books in the New Testament were either written by the apostles or those who came out of the apostle community, you know, like Luke and Mark and Paul. They had the authority. They had the knowledge. And the Holy Spirit were hold, it was holding their hands as they were walking through writing the scripture. Second Peter again, verse three. And remember our Lord's patience gives people time, oh, to be saved. Our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. That helps me. Let me tell you why. When I read the newspaper, when I listen to the news, when I see how 
crazy we have become as a world and how broken we have become as a country and how we have marred the image of God everywhere you turn and how we have literally said good is evil and evil is good. We literally say that. And, and how we have thumbed our noses as, at God as a country. Uh, and we wonder, I mean, I wonder, why doesn't Jesus come back now? I mean, come back now. And then I remember this verse. Our Lord's patient. His patience gives people time to be saved. There's still people that God wants to save. And, and he wants to use you to help bring that salvation about. Then he goes on to say, this is, this is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. Speaking of these things in all of his letters, some of his commands are hard to understand and those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different. Isn't that amazing? What was happening then still happens today. People who are ignorant and unstable twist the word of God. And they get it to say something it doesn't say. I've seen people do this all the time. I've seen people try to justify their choices, their decisions by taking scripture and making it say something it does not say. Just as they do with other parts of scripture. And this will, oh, this is sad. And this will result in their destruction. Why? Because they reject Jesus. And they will face eternal punishment because they reject Jesus. Wow. When I read this stuff, it's sad. But God is patient because there's more he wants to be saved. And that's why we take the Great Commission very serious. And that's why we help train people in how to share their faith. Let's read the first three verses of Acts chapter 1. And Luke, who wrote the, you know, Luke wrote the book of Luke and he wrote Acts. And they're really, are actually volume 1 and volume 2. You can look at it that way. And the reason I do that is because of what he said in the very first verse. In my first book, I told you, in volume 1, part 1, I told you about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving, giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. 
So basically, Luke compiled a list of eyewitness accounts concerning Jesus. So before you consider the Bible as the word of God, consider it as a series of eyewitness accounts pointing to something incredible that happened, namely the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And evaluate whether these accounts are reliable. So when somebody tells me they, they don't believe the Bible, it usually means they haven't read it. And I challenge them. I said, well, I just challenge you to read it and then make a decision. Hmm. During those 40 days, he suffered and he died and he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. What has Jesus done to prove to you that he's actually alive? Well, he's given you scripture. He's given you the Bible. You know, at Gateway, we devote ourselves to the Bible because we believe it's the word of God. And so why do we at Gateway commit ourselves to the Bible? Why do we preach sermons based on scripture? Why do we teach life groups based on scripture? Why do we make decisions based on the Bible? Why do we live by the principles found in the Bible? Because we believe it's the word of God. It's that simple. I believe it's the word of God. And if it is the word of God, then my eternal soul and my life is totally dependent on this book. You know, these disciples, these apostles, if they knew that Jesus had not raised from the dead, why would they be so willing to go and die a martyr's death for a lie? Why would they do that? Makes no sense. And how could a lie have lived this long and still change lives? That's why I believe the Bible is the word of God. Do you? It changes everything. Let's pray.